All right, run it. I wonder what you mean when you use the word I. Use the word I. Take a break. We have an aversion to ourselves and to what's happening inside us. Inside us. I've been very interested in this problem for a long, long time. Something settles. Today's guest is Maddie McRae, an Australian content creator and very, very popular uh, social media maker who has exploded onto the scene on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. She is fucking hilarious. I was watching a few of her videos in preparation for the interview and I was just killing myself. She, uh, she talks about everything from sex and dating to body image and memes and jokes with parents it truly is a unique and witty and highly relatable style she's got over three million fans and she also is the co-host of the podcast sometimes funny always awkward i hope you enjoy our discussion where of course in my field we get personal ask her about her lived experience her mental health journey and how she's kind of processed and dealt with some of her biggest fears that could have potentially held her back a lot moving into a public domain space as she has, but she talks about how she's worked with them and through them to overcome and reach the other side uh, where she is today, still managing and uh, needing to do the daily work like we all are, but not letting it hold her back. So I'm stoked to be able to bring you this discussion with Miss Maddie McRae. Maddie McRae. Hey. So good to have you here. Thank you. Um, are, are you comfortable? Yeah, this couch is beautiful. So comfortable. So we're trialing this couch thing, mm. more of a home setup than Love studio. This. But I want to make sure that like the, that you, the guest feels like they can settle in. Do you feel settled in? Yeah, I could cry. You could cry. Is that what's happening? That's, the, that's what I was going for. Yeah, we're going to cry today. I was going for high cry factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could cry. Okay, cool. Like that. So, speaking of crying, <laughs> we usually like to start these chats by asking, what's a opinion that you hold about mental health that is controversial, but you wholeheartedly believe? Oh, God, what a big question. Something about mental health that I believe that's maybe controversial I don't think it is controversial. I think we talk about it enough. I think we talk about it enough. So what don't we do enough of? In society. I'm, th I'm trying to think about my circle in general. Is that I don't think... I, okay, let me retract that statement. My circle my close circle, my family circle, I don't think we talk about it enough. But people who are not as close to me, I'm so much more open to talk to them about it. Mm. Does that make sense? The so, people closest mm. to me, I find hardest to talk about it. That's an interesting point. And mm. I think many people can relate to that, which is it's almost easier to make a social media thing, being mm. like mental health is really important. We all struggle. And it's on a broad sense. Yeah. Not quite in detail. 
And so like in terms of being that really vulnerable person and, and giving the most detailed, uh, having the most detailed chats with someone, I don't know where to go. Hmm. So it's either on a broad sense to everyone or like I'm not able to be detailed enough unless it's with a professional person. Do you think that speaking to a professional instead of speaking to a wider audience is harder because you're forced to contemplate your own bullshit? Oh my God. It's so, it's the most vulnerable place, the most vulnerable you'll ever be, I think, is like opening up on that level to a complete stranger really. And like I see a therapist and there have been times where I've just like not been able to fully, fully let go because like I'm I'm embarrassed by what I'm dealing with. Because, like, I have a logical brain. This is what I always talk to. I have a logical brain who knows what my – because it's about anxiety. My logical brain knows that it's so dumb. And so, like, this part of my brain is judging me as I'm talking to my therapist. Mm. And then it's that, like, anxiety brain that's being really uh, unreasonable. And that's what I'm trying to deal with. But logical brain's being, like, you're an idiot. Say more about that. You're an idiot because? Because it's embarrassing that you're anxious about it. Because it shouldn't matter? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because that's what I mean, at least for my anxiety and maybe for some other people. Like, they're not rational thoughts sometimes. Like, yep. it's totally irrational what you're um, anxious about or sad about or whatever um, you're dealing with. But there's – and so, like, I have this, like, very, like, grounded part of myself that knows that and absolutely judges myself for feeling that way. Yeah. The internal narrative which says Mm. you should or shouldn't be a certain way. Yeah. This is a personal question and I like to probe and usually in these conversations I expect that as two adults you'll tell me where your boundary is Um, and I want this to feel like a cathartic experience that's psychologically safe, not the other way, so it's time to cry. Great, let's do it. (laughs) Can you tell me something that you're – embarrassed about an anxious thought that you might not have been as honest about in the past like what are some of those things that you're actually judging what's an example it's actually quite relatable to what I do and it's something that I had to deal with earlier this year uh, because I've only been making content for a year and a half really Mm -hmm. so it's very new to me and I grew really fast really fast and it was so overwhelming And I was anxious about this is so specific and so funny. And I remember talking to my therapist about about it. And I was just like, this is so dumb that I'm anxious about this. But I used to be anxious that my videos were too loud. And that somebody would wear headphones and play a video and hurt their ears. It's so conscientious of you. (laughs) I was like, I was like, I would spend hours on audio levels, which Bless. nobody, nobody does that. Most people set up their iPhone and just like shoot a video. Yeah. I don't even use it. They don't even use an external microphone. I do because I want to make sure that it sounds right. You have this beautiful inner ear fairy inside you that's <laughs> like, so concerned for people. everyone's ears. Yeah. <laughs> and where do you think that comes from? That's interesting because that to me says that there's a – deeply compassionate part of you that doesn't want to be annoying or irritate anyone absolutely i'm a i'm a a terrible people pleaser Mm. and i 
want to be liked by everybody and I always want to control how people see me, view me, and I cannot. I cannot, especially on the on the platform I'm on, being seen by millions of people. I cannot control how people see me. And so I'm like, what can I control? Yeah. And I'm like, I, contro- I can control what the video is about. I can control what it looks like, what I look like, and how it sounds. But the reason that that got triggered in me very early on is I had a comment. It was from one comment. And it was probably because she'd opened the app and it was up full volume. Sure. And I was like, oh no, I have to think about this. And then that burrowed into my brain for so long. And then only recently have I really been like, that is so silly. Mm. I mean, it, it's not because nothing, anything that you're anxious about isn't silly. You know, it comes from a real place. And for me, it was just about wanting to make sure that whatever people were viewing of me, like whatever I could control, they can't judge me on. Do you know what, it, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Really it, silly. It makes a lot of sense. You don't want to give people a reason not to like you. Yes, and that's where, and it's been really difficult because being on social media is you, you have to have a really thick skin because not everyone's going to like you. Mm. And I've had to like have that as an affirmation for myself daily and this is what I've worked with um, with my therapist. It's like not everyone's going to like you. You don't like everyone in the world. So how, like, as in like there are people in your life that you've come across that maybe you don't like. Yeah. So how can you can expect everyone to like you? Fully. Yeah. Can you tell me about a time further into our cry factor <laughs> um, that you didn't feel liked maybe as a child? What are some early memories where you're like, oh, I wish these people liked me? I think this is also where it comes from as well. All of that is like there's definitely like an inner Maddie who just wants to be accepted. And I think like mm. it comes a lot from my upbringing as well. I'm, I love my family and I don't think that uh, they did anything consciously to make me feel unloved but I am a middle child (laughs) and I have a younger sister who's 11 months younger than me and so I was you know two or three months old when my mum fell pregnant again and I and I hear stories I hear stories from when I was very very young always trying to get their attention Mm. and I was a bit mean to my sister um, because, you know, she's a sibling. Yeah, she was taking the attention. Yes. And so, like, I was. I was awful to her. And even, like, growing up as a kid, um, I wouldn't let her play with me and my friends, even though we were basically the same age. You know, I was 11, and then she'd turn 11. And for a month, we're the same age. And she's like, I'm 11 now. Can I come play with you and your friends? And I'm like, well, no. You have to be 11 and 11 months. <laughs> so, you cannot. Strict rules. So, I was quite mean to my sister growing up. And, I, like, me and my sister are so close now. But then there was this narrative that I was nasty, that I was a mean person. Um, Someone else's narrative or your narrative? Well, I've been, you know, your parents telling me that you're, you know, my parents saying like, don't be mean to your sister. Yep. Um, And so then there was this, uh, yeah, this concept or like I was always being um, told off for being mean. And that word nasty is actually a word that was used a lot, which is, it's a trigger word for me now. Sure. Like, nobody called me nasty. Yeah. Um, and so, but like, I was, I was mean to her because she was a sibling. And so then there was like this, you know, going into my teenage years, there was always this kind of like thing said about me that I was mean. Mm. And then now I've really been trying to not be that. And I'm like, I cannot, I cannot have anyone believe that I'm a mean person. Mm. And that's where this whole like, um, narrative or not narrative but like this anxiety that I've got that I I'm trying to control how people to see me and it's hard in comedy 
because I'm making fun of someone. Comedy is always at the expense of someone. You're making fun of a thing, a situation, yourself, someone else. Someone's going to get offended, you know, if they don't have a thick skin. Like often I do dating skits where I'm making fun of men. Mm -hmm. I've got butthurt men in my DMs (laughs) telling me I'm a bitch. You know what I mean? So it's just like it's it's, it's uh, this weird balance that I've like I've landed in this comedy world because it kind of happened by accident. I didn't try to become a comedy creator. I was just bored in lockdown and a skit went off and I was like, maybe I'm good at this. And then it kept going. And now I'm like, oh, I'm a comedy creator. Yeah. But it's yeah. So like there's this weird balance that I'm trying to. May, um, or I'm trying to make a balance between like this intrinsic like little girl Maddie who's just trying to prove that she's not a mean person yet somehow make fun of people to try and like do my job. It's really, yeah, it's what tough. What a tightrope to walk. It is. And so earlier this year, like I was having all of these massive successes, but I was really struggling because mm. I was like, people don't like me. Mm. What am I, how do I, and that I, I really tried to also control like how I made a skit. And I was like really trying to, even the way I played my characters, I'm like not trying to be too judgmental um, to who I'm making fun of. Like it's all a little bit dorky and a little bit awkward. Do you know what I mean? So like you can kind of see like, oh, she's just being cute about it. You can wiggle out of it a bit. Yeah, because I'm still I'm still trying to make people believe that I'm not a mean person. Can we? Uh, I like the exercise of like let's finish this sentence. Mm. So um, I don't want to be a mean person because if I'm nasty, that – will result in people are like be feeling unloved unloved yeah Yeah. so it's really this whole thing is actually pretty high stakes because Mm. i would imagine one of if not your core need is to feel loved Mm. like most of us yeah and you've essentially doubled down on a career where you're putting that core need somewhat at threat and you're rolling the dice on it mm. and every day you're trying to thread the needle on expressing yourself, being an actor, a comedian, uh, whilst improving the, the love that you have and mitigating the potential downside. It's wild. That's therapy, man. <laughs> so, you know, you said that it, um, that it was embarrassing or small, but actually that sounds pretty reasonable when you take that lens on it. Wouldn't you agree? Mm, absolutely. It's far more than just, I'm worried that the music's too loud. It's like, okay, well, let's roll that onion back a few layers and see what that actually is trying to point to. Mm. What that's trying to point to is, how do I be successful in my career at the littlest expense to others possible? And that's a worthwhile thing to investigate in therapy, in my opinion. Mm. What I'm really curious about uh, as a follow-on is, you know, you're someone who does put yourself out there and it requires a shit ton of confidence. Are you a confident person? Yes. Where did that come from? Well, I've performed my whole life and I think that that has, um, that's just an innately part of my personality. I'm always been outgoing. I think also like being the middle child and always vying for everyone's attention, um, comes from it as well. But I've, I've danced since I was four and then been in drama forever and I just I love performing hmm. and I think that's where my confidence has really come from exposure yeah to exposure moments to it. where it could go bad but you did it anyway yeah and like even with um my online my time online when I first started I wasn't performing to millions of people it was tiny yep. and it's really really gradually grown 
to be in front of millions, which is wild. But like I've slowly gotten used to it being seen by that many people. The first time I went viral when I was like really, really small creator, that was so overwhelming because again, it was like, is everyone going to like me? And like, it was really, it was really um, great, really great feedback because it was, I was making fun of my parents and everyone can relate to that. So it wasn't okay. really, I wasn't, the, the person I was making fun of really is just my mom and dad and yeah. they loved it. Yeah, cool. And so like, it was this great validation um, in that very first video. But then you don't go viral for a while. And so then you're chasing it. So it's mm. a little bit different. And so like, that's been a weird balance to, to kind of, um, or like just something to come terms with, like you're not always going to get it out of the park. Yeah. And you can't, you can't expect it to, and you can't base your value on views and likes. And I did for a while. Do you still be honest? Sometimes. Yeah. But I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not as bad as I was like definitely like followings fluctuate and I grew really crazy fast in the beginning. And I haven't, I haven't been able to match that. Like that would be impossible to mm. try and grow at that trajectory forever it's not sustainable and it would drive me wild like crazy if I kept trying to drive um grow that way but I definitely do when I'm making videos I'm always just like how can I make this like the most valuable so that I will get good engagement it's a business model right but it I'm really trying I really try not to like base my own personal value in views and likes I think a lot of people um, struggle with value, self-worth. Do you think confidence is innate? Like you're, you're born a more confident person or that it's social conditioning? So I think social conditioning, yeah. In your experience as someone who has built confidence, w- what do you think has been, other than performing in front of crowds, what do you think is the single best thing that has helped you build a thicker skin? You said it before, it's exposure to yeah. it. Yeah, just doing it over and over and over again. Yeah, because I see a lot of people who they maybe they've been told in their life before that they're not allowed to be themselves. Oh, yeah. And they shrink. Yeah. And you tell someone, just don't shrink. Do what you want to do, say what you want to say, be who you want to be. And they're like, okay. And then they don't do it. Yeah. And so I think, you know, a lot of people need practical first steps or better yet, a different belief system. And mm. what are, what have you seen with people that lack confidence some of their belief systems are? I think that if they've been told from a young age that they have to be small, it's going to be really, really hard for them to not try and be small. Um, and so that's that would be really difficult to to fall out of that habit because sometimes they might be doing stuff that they're not even conscious of mm. to make themselves feel you know, to be smaller, standing in a corner in a, in a crowded room, trying not to take up space. And as a woman, I think that this happens a lot. I, um, this is quite funny, but a personal story recently, I got told to, um, calm down that I was being too loud recently by a person who I'm no longer speaking to. (laughs) Especially because it's the noise trigger as well. Yeah. And I was like, you're like, don't shake that cage yeah and it was just like it was quite interesting that the reaction that it had within me sure because it obviously has is something that's happened to me be smaller be smaller yeah and so then i like i guess my reaction to it and it has been since i was a kid um even to my parents 
to be like, well, fuck you, I'm going to be louder. So I guess like it's my response to it is different. Whereas other people I would sense would definitely, if someone tells them to be smaller, I'm going to be smaller. Mm. Um, I haven't answered the question. Well, I think you've, you've better Touched than answered on it. it. Um, <laughs> which is if we, if we are told a certain narrative when we're young, it's really hard to drop when we're older. Yeah. And the only way to do that is to have the confidence to buck it. Uh, but how do you – it's kind of chicken and egg. How do you get the confidence to buck it? You just got to do it. I think it's seeing people around you role model what it means to go from small to growth. Mm. And I, I don't know, at least for me – it's when there's a shortcoming or said a more compassionate way, a limiting belief within me, what I usually do is look outwards and say, where can I find a version of this mm. that I can relate to and they've done it? Because my mindset is, for better or for worse, could be delusion. <laughs> if one human being can do something, mm. I can fucking do it or get darn close. Yeah. And uh, I know that like heart on my sleeve started because I saw one guy – wearing his heart on his sleeve after a whole lifetime of hiding. And I'm like, I can fucking do that. Mm. And for, for a lot of people, it is that if you see it work, you can. And then when that thought says, no, but I can't because, say fuck you yeah. to yourself and your brain and that Logical part brain. of you. Yeah. Bring it out. Fully. Tell the other silly side to shush. That one can be quiet logical brain be loud totally and i think like again this is a privileged comment because i had maybe th the childhood from my mum especially that has enabled thoughts like this to come mm -hmm. but for me i'm like i'm gonna fucking die one day yeah i'm gonna turn into dust and, and we're already just evolved fishes and monkeys <laughs> yeah and the world's gonna spin for another trillion years and then some mm-hmm so in moments that I want to shrink and I'm scared, I go, who the fuck cares? Yeah. It's this spotlight effect too yeah. as well. Like nobody's watching you as closely as you think Not they are. Not a single person. And this is the whole thing with me and my anxieties as well. Like nobody's looking at my numbers. Nobody cares. No one really cares. And so sometimes I've really had to have that brain as well like the spotlight's not on you. Mm. So like nobody if you if you speak up and do what you're afraid of you are the one who's focusing on on the how uncomfortable you are. But most of the time, people, the other people, they're, they're mostly focusing on themselves anyway. Mm. So, yeah, I just think, yeah, say fuck it, do it. This is, a, this is usually something that I'll ask at the end, but I feel like it's a good time to ask now. What's a story that you used to tell yourself that you no longer tell yourself? That, yeah, I think, I mean, we've kind of touched on it, but there is something that I say to myself every day because I have like a list of affirmations that helps me and one of them is that I am oh, I've got to remember I mostly read it off a piece of paper so it's like a terrible memory it's like I'm strong I'm powerful and no one can take that away from me so like my power and my loudness and my boldness is a strength and I'm just trying to I'm trying to believe that it's a strength and not because obviously my whole life I've trying not to pr I'm trying to prove that I'm not a mean person but I think that like me being bold and loud is is a powerful strength that I have and no one can remove that like I have given myself that title that it's a strength nobody can make me believe otherwise and if they believe it they believe it but it's it's what I believe that's most important and in moments where 
like that guy did the other <laughs> week and in moments where a TikTok troll will say whatever they say mm-hmm. and then the old brain and narrative starts to chomp, how do you stop that? I mean, she's there. She's definitely there. Um, but, yeah, it's these. It's reminding myself those words but also most of the time when I'm having like an anxious time, I sleep on it. I allow myself to feel that way for a day Mm. and I'm like, I try not because like I'm going to think about it no matter what, like I'm going to focus on it and Mm. sometimes I can't stop it and I will let myself do it for a day. I'm like, you're allowed to feel this way today, but Mm. we're going to go to bed and tomorrow we're going to wake up different. What's your favorite emotion to feel? No, I love all of them. Some are harder than others. Probably joy. When's, can you think about a memory where you felt most joyous? Uh, most recently, uh, I reunited with my best friend in Japan. I haven't seen her in a while. She lives in London. And that was just pure joy. Just We just held each other. Mm. So, so great. Love. Yeah, love. The core need. Yeah, and my dog as well. He brings me so much joy. Yeah. I got him this year. He's changed my life. He's a good boy. Oh, he's so good. It's uh, well, what for, for me, what I needed this year, especially with this whole cycle I was going through uh, because I work alone and I live alone. And so it's, it's hard to get out of that mind space. Um, but he gave me a routine. Yeah. We go for a walk in the morning. We go for a walk at night. He bookends my day and he allows me to switch off. Mm. He literally forces me to. He's like, mom, I'm ready now yeah just put the laptop I'm away about to ship myself <laughs> yeah let's yeah. go <laughs> yeah. unless yeah. you want to clean this up yeah. yeah so like even that unconditional love from a pet has been really helpful yeah fully but yeah joy most recently was with my friend hannah that was just yeah pure joy and we speak every day on the phone mm. um and so like she is really helpful like a, a, having a person in my life that is so supportive like she's my cheerleader no matter what happens and sometimes we'll have a cry together but it's just so it's the love it's so pure love it speaking of love mm. you do a lot of content about dating yes i do mm. and it's so fucking mm. funny i would encourage everyone to jump on and search maddie mcrae because <laughs> that shit will give you some good lols and escape uh but obviously that comes from somewhere oh and, yeah um we were just talking off air around how there was the guy who got up like halfway through mm-hmm. doing the hunky dory and yeah. ate a block of cheese. It's like a real life ratatouille. Um, yeah, he what, got lightheaded. It's fine, I guess. It's fine. What what draws you to that space? Because well, it's my life. That's mm. my life right now. So like I'm, the content I make is it's all, all of the inspiration comes from my life experience. I'm sure that if I started dating someone, my content would shift into more like relationship scenarios. But right now, it's all about being single. Um, because, I mean, I'm to go talk about relationships, I'm mostly a monogamous relationship girly. And from the age of 15 to the age of 27, I was in long-term relationships. And the last three years I've been single. And so, like, since being online, I've been in this kind of, like, dating world. And it's quite interesting because I feel like online dating's really shifted since COVID. Mm. It's hilarious. And there's so much content. It's dire and it's sad. Swamp. It's a swamp, not a dating pool. It's a dating swamp. And we're all just kind of just, just holding our, our heads. Yeah, we're just like breathing through our lips, just coming above the water. It's just, it's so, but it's, and it's terrible. But I'm able to make fun of it and make fun of myself and obviously make other people feel a little 
um, less alone in this awful dating swamp by making fun of it. So make little skits about it. And it's so much fun. They do so well because they're so relatable. So relatable. <laughs> and like in some ways it's fucking sad that it's relatable because oh, it means so that sad. everyone's out here just having the worst time on dates. Yep. Uh, but at least you get some good stories out oh, of it. really do. And you, how do you identify from a sexuality perspective if you're open to sharing? I'm bisexual. Bisexual. Mm-hmm. And how does that inform your world view i guess like is it a big part of who you are does it shape the way you think about yourself in life yes but yes and no um i don't often talk about being bi online and i don't often do skits with girls like they'll be in there sometimes with dating um but i kind of really um conform to the heteronormative world view because i didn't want it to be my key identifier Sure. If that makes sense. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to have to say Maddie McRae, bisexual comedy creator. Because I find that like – and I, I love that there are people who do champion that. Um, but I was like, I just want to make a skit where sexuality is not a part of it, yep. even though I do talk about sex a lot. I mean, the main joke I make about sex is it's literally the same joke I tell just in different ways, which is mm-hmm. just a man not being able to find the clitoris. Yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes I do it with an elevator. You know, he's going to the wrong floor. Yeah. Or other times she's at a party and she's being ignored and other times I've done it with like a paper flower on the floor. Like it's – I'm making the same joke um, with the sex content. Um, but in terms of like it informing who I am, yes, but privately. Uh, going back to our original comments around um, boundaries and psychological safety, mm. please oh, just yeah, let no. me know if yeah, I'm going anywhere. Like, this fuck is, you. you. Fuck you, Get Mitch. Fuck. Yeah. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> Be quiet. <laughs> I find the, the psychology of this fascinating because I, um, uh, I had a, one of my ex-partners, Alana, she's so fucking awesome Mm. and after dating me she's now married to a woman yeah and i was always curious for her and maybe you can speak to your experience is first and foremost were you first attracted to males or females um if you know and second of all do you think the secondary attraction came from an emotional or a physical Mm. expansion yeah um, I, th- I think uh, consciously I was attracted to men first, but I do have some like early memories now that I've come out and become more aware of my sexuality that were definitely with girls, but I didn't realize what it was at the time. Yep. Um, so I feel like my first kind of like almost sexual encounter, which really wasn't, but it's, you know, it's touching, but it was just like we were playing house experimenting yeah but it was like we were playing a game it wasn't like i'm with you because you're a girl but now i think back and i'm like oh oh, yeah it was right there all alone (laughs) (laughs) oh um yeah so i was definitely consciously attracted to men first and then first time i was attracted to a girl like in real life like i think i've always found it attractive and like in terms of like um what I was sexually attracted to, I think I've always just like, I just assumed everyone was attracted to both. So I was just like, it's not nothing. I'm never going to date another girl, but like everyone's attracted to women and men. That was just kind of like my 
thought process when I became sexually active, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was actually attracted to a woman and I wanted to, like, date her, um, that was a physical react a physical yep. what was the word you used uh response yeah it was physical or drive it was, yeah, yeah it was like we were playing spin the bottle literally at like a, a university party and we started kissing and then the game ended game ended everyone and you're left. like let's still kiss yeah I was, well no <laughs> as in like everyone left because we didn't stop oh. <laughs> i was like oh, we better leave <laughs> bye <laughs> sorry i'll be once again <laughs> also shout out to spin the bottle <laughs> love spin the bottle <laughs> that has straight up cut through so many uh, like awkward tensions and has enabled yes. everyone's so deepest fantasies to come true with an excuse yeah like, yeah but that yeah. was like a physical response obviously yeah. we were kissing and then i was like i really like this yeah and then i ended up dating her for four years she was my last partner nice yeah not fucking good <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um it just again shout out to spin the bottle <laughs> <laughs> I, that needed to happen twice <laughs> did love it it was good because you... it's awkward i didn't know how to make the first move oh fully so we're like well the bottle said so we have to make out it's literal Your magic in my mouth yeah. right now <laughs> yeah. I, I think twister has a similar effect yeah it's yeah it's just that like it's got the oh, vibe. We're on top of each other. Oh, sorry, I'm straddling yeah. you. Oh, Oops. And <laughs> yeah, we're married. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like, whoops, twister. Uh, what, what's the difference from an emotional standpoint, do you think, with regard to like your attachment needs and feeling loved? Do you find that differs a lot between men and women in your security? It's hard. That's a hard question for me to answer because I've only been with one woman and I Mm. think that um, her attachment style or our, like our relationship is not reflective of her being a woman. I think it was just her Mm. um, and who she was. So that's hard for me to compare um, because she had quite an anxious attachment style. And I don't think that that's say, I'm I'm not, I don't want to say that all women are like that. No. Because I don't have an anxious attachment style. What attachment style are you? Avoidant. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, see you later. Yeah. <laughs> Things get hard. I'm out of here. Yeah. Which I'm dealing with. <laughs> yeah. But it's a style. Um, but yeah, so she had a... Um, and our relationship didn't end well. Like it was quite a... Um, Conflict heavy. Yeah, it was. And it, do you know what? And it's quite funny that we're doing a, a podcast about mental health because it had to do with mental health. Mm. A lot of um, we had a lot of issues with mental health and that's why the relationship eventually fell apart mm. and we went our separate ways. Um, and she's doing much better now and I'm doing much better now. Um, I just think that like us two together, were not we weren't compatible and we kind of enabled <laughs> our issues and it was just a swamp. <laughs> in More that. swampy. It was so swampy. Um, but we, it was also in the middle of COVID. Yeah, yeah. So there, was, going there was a lot going on. So and it's it just, also your first female relationship. Yes, so you're adjusting to that as absolutely. well. Absolutely. And like, you know, certain expectations from family thinking that I was going to follow the heteronormative, yeah. you know, nuclear Heaps family. So there was, there was a lot in that relationship and – um, it was a lot of firsts there. And so it's yeah. hard for me to kind of compare my relationship with men versus women. Fair. Yeah. Totally fair. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I've been doing a lot of thinking recently on the concept of do you need to heal on your own first before getting into a relationship or do you heal with a partner? And I'm a big believer in saying and more than or mm. as much as possible. And because I think thinking in black and white often puts us into situations that are unnatural Mm -hmm. because of the brain's desire for certainty more than the brain's desire for truth. 
And I think you need to do a certain baseline level of work before you enter into partnership. Absolutely. Because otherwise you just spew out everything everywhere and you use your partner's love and affection and butterflies as a way to escape from the thing that you should confront. But I also don't believe you need to be perfect Mm-mm. to come into a relationship and a lot of wounding can be healed through the right type of attachment in romance. And pause, would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think that like um, from my own experience, especially going into relationships at such a young age um, and being single now, there's been so much more um, discovery of who I am on my own. Mm. And um, when I first became single, I really struggled. Like it was really, really hard to not have another person. Um but I've learned so much more about myself through that process. But I've always really loved, there's a quote by somebody and I don't know what it is. I don't know, maybe it was even a TikTok. But it was about being a person or being single. It's about um, discovering a new city or like moving into a new city. Mm. And like learning the back streets and like understanding all of the secret pathways. And kind of like drawing a map. You know, you're, you're discovering it on your own. And when you meet someone, they're not completing your map you're showing them around your map. Yep, fully agree. Mm. And so like even if it's not fully complete, like what you were saying before, like even you haven't dis- you can discover stuff together because that's what happens. You go together as a person and their interests become your interests and tastes be- their tastes become your tastes. And like, of course, that's going to happen. But you really have to have a good foundation of who you are before you welcome someone into it. And that was hard for me because I was a chameleon. I became who I dated for so long. Yeah. Like their mannerisms, their like even the way they spoke, mm. I developed like I it that became me. It was like I've had three major relationships in my life, and I was three different people in all three of them. So this like last three years has just been like, well, who the fuck am I? I don't know. Did you find an answer to that question? Yeah, I think. Let me so. ask that another way. <laughs> if you dated someone else, do you think you would chameleon into them? No, no. I well, I I don't know. I don't know because I haven't since being single, right? I hope not. I think that like I've really gotten good at setting good boundaries, uh, especially because the last relationship was like probably the most chameleon. Like we were one person. It was a weird pretzel, demented pretzel. We call this enmeshment. Enmeshment, yeah. And like, you know, you have your circles of influence. I've, this is what my therapist told me. I, yeah, hit me. And Love she was in there. You know, you're meant to just – it's meant to be you, just that in that inner circle and then you've got your closest – people yeah. and like she was in my circle yeah 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 and that was it was you know that should just be you yeah um so like i've had to really work at boundaries because i was like i can never be in a situation like that again we can't Fully. can't because otherwise you lose trust in yourself oh yeah and you forget what it's like to regulate on your own mm. and then the moment any type of dysregulation or distress comes up you're like where is my person as opposed to where am I? Yeah. And I, I think we've normalized maybe through Hollywood yeah. that it's it's romantic and idealized to become whole through someone. Yes. If psychologists had any right to review movies before they were published, <laughs> they would be like, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> Why are we telling everyone that this is like aspirational? Yeah. If someone's making you whole, you will inevitably fall apart. But we grow up with that. Disney yeah. taught us that. Yeah. You know, that's the, that's what we grow up with. Like this discourse that you have to have someone in order to live happily ever after. You cannot be alone. Fully. 
And then what happens if like you, if you fight or you break up or you're in a situation that requires your own values to orientate your way through it as opposed to theirs, you spiral. Yeah. And I'm not saying don't connect with others. My whole fucking livelihood is built on teaching people to connect. Mm. I'm saying that having an independent sense of self that you can trust and regulate on your own and also co-regulate with others sometimes through connection and feeling reassured and comforted, both are needed. But if you lean too far either way, you're fucked. Yeah. Yeah. My biggest biggest revelation that's happened that is in related to that in this last like three years of being single is that when something really great or something really terrible happens to me, I used to always immediately call my partner to get their advice, their opinion, have a rant. And I don't have that. I mean, I've got my sisters and my close friends and, and my new dog and i've got my dog he hears a lot what a fucking great listener Ooh, he's gotta be he can't talk it's like shut up <laughs> you come home he's wearing like glasses and lying back on an Fill eames chair in. <laughs> he's like hit me bitch yeah i'm ready <laughs> take me for a walk first yeah, <laughs> yeah walk so me like and then i've got you <laughs> i've had i i don't have that person and it's been funny because i had a conversation with another um content creator recently about this is it's been difficult to not immediately jump on your Instagram story to then get your Instagram followers responses because that's also like a kind of I have this relationship with my um my online community that that is filling a certain void that I don't have personally right and so when something like really crazy happens to me like this morning something fucked happened with my real estate I was so angry and I guess I have that like instant um response that I'm like I have to call someone to tell them and I also get like a little pang of sadness because I'm like well I wish I had a person but it's kind of great that I don't because I get to figure out how I respond first before I hear someone else's opinion yeah I think what it does Maddie is it forces you to go toward the pain Mm. and you know we were speaking earlier around that I believe is the most helpful thing I've ever done in my life is learn how to sit with pain um, because when you do your, your nervous system does a bicep curl. Mm. So it's basically three years of working out and not running away from that feeling by giving it to someone else, but actually just resting in it and realizing, holy fuck, I can do this. Mm. So when a partner comes into your life, you're like, I don't need you. I want you though. Yeah. And that's a really abundant place to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's been, it's been kind of amazing that this massive career explosion that I've had, I've only had since being on my own Mm. and so i'm just like i did that fucking oath you did pat myself on the back it's great and now i'm like i feel like i'm open to share i'm open to sharing that with someone but i don't feel like i need them there Mm. to continue on this journey that i'm on it's like no i got this you can come with me (laughs) you know but i got it yeah you can add but i Mm. don't but you don't need to multiply until i'm enough so much goodness. Yeah, we got some good stuff in yeah. here. This has been rich. It's been rich. Yeah. This is fertile. This is a chocolate pudding. This, this is really rich pudding. This is a chocolate <laughs> conversation. It's like a like, yeah, like mud cake. Really? <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of mud, actually, that's where I want to go last before we bring this home. Is yeah. What a when when you're in the mud, can you think about an example or a story of when someone has supported you through a hard moment or hard chapter, what are some of the things that they did? What did they say and do that you're like, shit, that was super helpful? Uh, 
Yeah, I do have that. Th- this last relationship that I uh, just came out of was really hard to leave. Mm. And I had a really close friend help me through that, not by saying anything. She just was there every day. Just called me, text me. It was just like presence to be like, I'm here with you. She couldn't spoon feed me the answers because she knew that it was something that I had to do. But she was there every single day. And it was just knowing that I had a person to – she held me accountable, really, because the easier option was to not end it. The easier Mm. option was to stay because it's hard ending a relationship. That's so hard. She she held me accountable just by, like, texting me every day. I think there's something to be said for – I don't know how to say this other than this word – a there-ness. Like someone's there-ness. Yeah. Presence. Um, it really gives you something to hold on to when you feel like there's nothing to hold on to. Yeah. And sometimes we feel negligent that just by showing up, we're not doing enough, but mm, that's no. often what the yeah. person needs. Because sometimes like people go through awful stuff, right? And you're just like, what do I even say? Mm. Sometimes you don't have to. You just have to be there. Yep. Mm. Maddie, what's a question that I didn't ask you, but you wish I did? Um, why aren't you crying? This is really vulnerable. Where are the tears? <laughs> Where are the tears? Which is actually quite funny because it's a big sign to me that I am unable to be vulnerable and I make jokes about everything. <laughs> I'm literally Chandler Bing. I just, <laughs> I make a joke. <laughs> I'm um, making the jokes. I make the jokes. <laughs> Somebody like says something vulnerable and I'm like, how can I make this funny? Because yeah. I don't want to cry. <laughs> Do you hide behind comedy? <laughs> Absolutely. Like even when I'm like really nervous and I'm meeting new people, I'm like, how can I be self-deprecating? How can I make fun of myself to make myself... Like, if I make fun of myself first, then I won't be embarrassed because I'm like, mm. I'll, I'll do it first. I'll be the one to point out the flaws and, you know, diffuse this tension with laughter. Absolutely. Um, that didn't answer your question, but it was a fun tidbit for it was you. A, it was a fun little uh, U-turn. Yeah. I want to come back to it. <laughs> oh, no. Hence the U-turn. <laughs> What's a question you wish I'd asked you, but I didn't? I don't know. I'm not sure. Mm. Yeah. Because we did, we went deep, I liked it. It was good. Yeah, we covered a lot. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's a question I'd like to ask. How do you feel now after having that conversation? Because I'm arguably, well, not anymore. Now we're friends. We are. Uh, but an hour ago, I was a stranger. Mm. How do you, how have you felt being quite real for the last, I don't know how long we've been going, maybe hour? I look, I think we touched on it in the beginning. Like I find it kind of easy to be vulnerable with someone who I don't know. Mm. Um, I obviously didn't go that deep into my deep fears like I think about younger Maddie and her need to be liked and I will weep thinking about her do you know what I mean like there is definitely like a lot of pain there um but I feel good I feel like uh what I've experienced is probably what a lot of other people experience in what I and I'm also very conscious that we have a microphone right here and we're talking to people and people are listening. So um, I want to make sure that they're gaining value. But I feel good about how deep we went. We didn't cross any boundaries. Good. I feel good about it. Um, thank you so much for having a yarn. Mm. I'm looking forward to staying connected and cheering you on. Oh, cheerleaders. There will be many people who will want to follow you. So yes. can you tell them where to find you? My name is Maddie McRae. My handle's Maddie, spelled with a Y, underscore M-A-C-R-A-E. 
throw in another underscore at the end because somebody else took my handle. Somebody else uses it. Fuck you, Maddie McRae. Maddie McRae, who no uses no un- underscore. underscores. She's got my handle. I want yeah. it. <laughs> um, both of us. But if you just look up Maddie McRae, you'll find me. I'm uh, on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. Yeah, uh, you'll know because of the gazillion followers <laughs> and the darn good content. Just, just a few. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you're a legend. Thanks so much. Thank you. Emotions have a natural tendency to dissipate unless they get uh, reinforced. And so if there's more thoughts, more stories, more intentions come along. So the act of how am I leaving it alone is an act of not act adding more stories, adding fuel to it. So it might not go away in two minutes, but it then it begins to relax and dissipate. And so rather than being the person who has to fix it, we become the person who makes space for the heart, the mind to relax and settle away itself.